Okay, Ralphie, would you bring us into another awesome, wonderful Shabbat service? Hallelujah. Father, we delight in your Shabbat. We delight in your ways, and we, Father, love to congregate with the people that you have drawn to yourself that have a love for you and your word. We thank you, Father, that we can come together on this day that you have appointed, you have set apart as your set-apart people. And we thank you that you are with us, guiding us and directing us with your spirit and your word. We give you praise and glory for these things in your son, Yahushua's name. Amen. Welcome everyone online that's joining us. Welcome everyone here. So we have an opening adoration that we declare together as a body. Uh, in the opening adoration, you'll notice uh, his name is spelled out, Yodevafe. We want you to feel comfortable pronouncing his name however you feel convicted to say it. And the same would go for his son's name. Those aren't issues here. Neither is the calendar. Imagine that. So we, I will say that the opening adoration is 85% from the Psalms of David. So we love to exalt him and magnify him the way that David did. So we're just proclaiming scripture back to the king. So let's join and let's come together and let's worship and exalt the mighty one of Israel. Blessed be he who spoke and the world came into being. Blessed be he. Blessed is he who maintains creation. Blessed is he who speaks and does. Blessed is he who decrees and fulfills. Blessed is he who has mercy on the earth. Blessed is he who has mercy on creatures. Blessed is he who gives good reward to those who fear him. Blessed is he who lives forever and endures to eternity. Blessed is he who redeems and rescues. Blessed is his name. Blessed are you, Yahweh our God, King of the universe, the God, the merciful Father, who is praised by the mouth of his people, praised and glorified by the tongues of the devout ones and his servants. We shall laud you, Yahweh our God, with praises and songs. And now Psalm 100. A psalm for thanksgiving. Shout joyfully to Yahweh all the earth. Serve Yahweh with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that Yahweh himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for Yahweh is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. We say this in the name of our Master and our King, Yahushua. Amen and Amen. We're going to begin a time of worship, dance. If you're going to worship in Davidic dance, if you make your way out to this area here, that would be great. At home, clear out a spot, get ready to get excited. Everyone here, remember, we're worshiping the King. Let's bring our very best to Him with our voices, our hearts, and let's give Him our best. Amen? Shabbat Shalom.
Shout out, hallelujah.
thank you so much for this time of worship. We thank you that we can come before you as a people and glorify you, King of Kings, Master of the universe. We thank you that your spirit is among us. Father, we feel your spirit moving in our midst, that we get to be with the creator of heaven and earth in a time of worship and praise, that we get to fellowship with you, that we get to partake with you, Father, as we glorify you and exalt you as you come and inhabit our praises. We thank you, Master. We thank you that we can trust you, that you will not fail, that, Father, that you do not change. We thank you that these character traits of you we can stand upon, we can affirm it, we can be assured of it. So we thank you, Father. We glorify you and praise you as a people that you've brought us together and you've sprinkled us with clean water. You've caused us to not only know your name, but know your ways. We give you praise and glory. And for these things, we give thanks. In Master Yahushua's name, amen and amen and amen. We want to invite everybody to come. It's a very special part of our service where we invite all of you that have needs to come to the area where they were doing dancing. We want to do what James chapter 5 says. It says, anyone among you sick, he must call for the elders of the assembly. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of Yahuwah. The prayer offered when faith will restore the one who is sick. Yahuwah will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So the men are going around and putting a tab on everyone's forehead. We get this from Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 4 and 6, where the angel told the, or God told the angel with the writing instrument, he said, go throughout all of Israel, put a mark on everyone's forehead who sighs and groans over the abominations. The word mark is the Hebrew letter tav, and it means sign of the covenant. So God's marking his people with a Hebrew letter that represents the sign of the covenant. Those who have a heart like he has. Imagine that. Hmm. All right. So the key thing about James 5 is the repentance. We're about to present offerings to the Most High. We want it to be acceptable, and so we need to cleanse our hearts, cleanse everything here online, everybody. Scripture's clear, no one's without sin, so we all need to repent now because we do not want to inhibit the prayers to rise up as a sweet aroma to the King of Kings. So let's begin. Father, we come to you as your people. We admit that we've sinned, committed iniquity, we've transgressed before you. We walked our way and not your way. We broke the commandments, turned our back on them. We walk contrary to you and you walk contrary to us. Father, you are righteous in all that you've done, and we only have open shame. Father, you've given a gift. You've made a way. The adversary didn't understand the plan. The people in the first century didn't understand the plan, but you did. Even though there were people waiting for the Mashiach to come, you had a way and a plan. And we're thankful for your mercy and grace. We accept your offering of Messiah Yahushua on our behalf. And we acknowledge the sins, iniquities, and transgressions of our forefathers, and we ask that you would cleanse us all here today from our impurity and uncleanness by the blood of your Lamb. We ask this in your Son, Yahushua's name. Amen. Amen. Father Yahweh, we give you great thanks. We thank you, Father, that you revealed yourself to us. You're the one who has brought all things 
into existence. You spoke it and it was seen and unseen. Father, you took the time to reveal yourself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Father, you are the eternal one of Israel, your called out people. And Father, you know our needs before we ask, but Father, maybe sometimes we don't know what we need. And Father, so we ask today, will you guide and direct us and help us, Father, and provide the, our, for our needs. Father, today as your children bring to you their request of whatever it might be, we come trusting and knowing that your hand is not too short to accomplish anything that we may ask according to your good, good name and the will that you have set out for us. Father, we thank you. Father, so please bring healing where healing's needed within our community, those who are maybe not feeling well, those who might be traveling, those who have an illness that have had it for a while. Father, your hand is a hand of healing as well. Father, whatever it might be, provide for your children. Give wisdom and insight. Father, if I understand right, if we ask, you, you do just that. You are a good father. You give good things your children and help us to recognize those good things that come from you father it is your spirit that is that comes down and guides us and father we believe that report the report that your very words became flesh and that he your only brought forth son walked among us father laid his life down has taken it back up again and now father with his words we He's bringing us back to your house, Father. We thank you again for the empowerment of your spirit so we can overcome all things. We thank you, we thank you, and we love you. Amen. We want to invite the children to come forward. All males 13 and over are welcome to come up and grab the tallit. The men are going to get the tallit out. The kids can come and get under the tallit. We have a song that we sing. Uh, called Hine Matov for this blessing over the kids. So as the kids come, as the males come, 13 and over, we sing this wonderful song. And the song goes like this. Bless the families, Father, bless their homes, 
Father, raise them up in the way that they should live. Uh, help the parents as they train them and raise their kids up. We ask that you be with them, these children here and our extended family, the children whose names are written in the, uh, in the box of the suitcase. Father, we thank you. We pray all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. The uh, kids make their way back to their seats, and as the men fold up the tallit, we have another song to sing, and this song is called uh, Ose Shalom, and it means may he who makes peace in his heights make peace upon us and upon all Israel. And so we get a blessed opportunity to say this, sing this together, and this song goes like this. Ose Shalom blessed opportunity to face Jerusalem and say the Shema together. Shema We say this in the name of our Master and King, Yahushua. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Mr. Ralphie's back, right. and he's got a couple of announcements for us, a couple of picks, and then we can right. get into study time. All right, Amber and Kamarion, if you guys could make your way up, that would be wonderful. 
Welcome, everyone, to Living Messiah. Welcome to our family here. We're so glad that each and every one of you are here. And we also want to say thank you to our online family. Hello, online family. We're glad that you've joined us. Subscribe if you haven't already, please. That's wonderful. Say hello. Leave a comment. That would be awesome as well. We're so appreciative of all of you out there. As you know, you can visit livingmessiah.com. There you'll find these announcements and uh, many, many other things as well. Uh, again, subscribe if you haven't. You know we go through the platform of Facebook X. Uh, Brother Mark has put together a very nice, large uh, a podcast library. Make sure you check that out and share that with friends and family as well. And as you know, we're live streamed through YouTube. You can always uh, catch the rerun. You can always come back and watch us again. Watch the announcements one more time. All you got to do is go to YouTube to our, our station there or channel, I think it's called, and you can get even more videos uh, uh, there as well. So I want to say hello, Brett and Claudette. Yes, Shabbat how are shalom. you guys? All right, that brings us to our psalms, and I think it's Amber's going to read our psalms for us. It's Psalms 42, 1 through 11, the full Psalm uh, 42. It's all you. As a deer longs for the water streams, so my being longs for you, O Elohim. My being thirsts for Elohim, for the living El. When shall I enter into appear before Elohim? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day, where is your Elohim? These I remember and pour out my being within me, for I used to pass along with the throng. I went, to I went with them to the house of Elohim with, vo with the voice of joy and praise, a multitude keeping a festival. Why are you depressed, O my being, and why are you restless within me? Wait for Elohim, for I shall yet thank him for the, for the deliverance of his face. O oh, my Elohim, my being is depressed within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Yarden and, my, and from the heights of Hermon and Mount Mitzar. Deep calls, to, deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers passed over me. By day, Yahweh commands his kindness, and by night, his song is with me, a prayer to the El of my life. I say to El, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the, the oppression of, my, of the enemy? My enemies have reproached me like, like a crushing of my bones, while they say to me all day long, Where is your Elohim? Why are you depressed, O my being? Why are you restless within me? Wait for Elohim, for I shall yet thank him, the deliverance of my face and my Elohim. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, come on. Here's our Proverbs for... Or 26, 4, and 5. Do not answer to a fool according to his folly, lest you'll also become like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he become wise in his own eyes. Amen. Thank you. All right. Uh, Tuesday night, come study with us. Uh, it's our Tuesday night Bible study. Mike, where are you at? I forgot to check with you on this. Is it still Zoom only or how? Yes, it's still Zoom only, and you're up and going right now. The time changed, though, right? From 7 to 8. Sorry about that, guys. I'm just getting back in the groove, and I forgot to check with Mike on the time. But 
since we're talking about Mike, Mike, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And thank you, Brother Mark, for taking his, uh, uh, taking up a little bit of that when I was gone to keep the Tuesday night alive and going. Um, if you want to be part of that Zoom, all you have to do is email Mark at livingmessiah.com. He'll put you on that notification when it comes up. Okay, but if you're on it already, you don't need to keep doing it every week. Okay, uh, the book of Acts. That's our in-depth study right now. We're going. I, we're going to start really zooming through Acts in that manner. But that brings to my mind something I, I thought was interesting that we read in Acts today. Praise my God because. <laughs> Paul was able to step in, and it's a great thing. Thank you, Paul. I uh, praise Elohim that he's given us such a wonderful servant and brother. Thank you so much. So we're going to be back zooming through Acts, hopefully maybe one, maybe two at the most, and then we're in this study period. Then we're going to start looking at Messiah's parables and really kind of digging in deep with that. And I did see, again, that attention, no food beyond those doors back there. We so appreciate you, uh, you adhering to that. That's wonderful. Um, stickers. I have some car stickers. If you uh, d didn't get any, I still have some with me. Come see me after Shabbat. There, you got a choice of black, purple, or white. They're really nice for your car. Just come see me. They're free. Okay? So come see me, and I will get you some for that. Now, that brings us to our calendars. Yes, our calendars, they'll be here next Shabbat. Uh, we look forward to that. And I, uh, uh, so as soon as we get in, get those in next Shabbat, we'll have that ready for, uh, for your consumption. So uh, we look forward to them uh, coming out. And thank you, Mark, for uh, getting everything together on that. And we'll have more about that next Shabbat on the calendar. So as you know, uh, most of you know, I want to thank you for allowing um, allowing my wife and I to take a break. <laughs> it was we had a good time. We did some a lot of different work down there on our property, but mainly we went over and we got some things done on that uh, on the Living Messiah's property. So I want to show you why the purpose is the property. It's this. Isn't that it? We, this is the whole purpose for the next generation? For family. You guys and your family, that's what it's all about, this property. So, what's been going on down there? The last you saw, Dan finished the bathroom there, and it's awesome. And we want to thank Dan, of course. Now, we got some cabinets we were able to take down there. This is the bunkhouse that's being called. Trailer number two just didn't try. All right, it's that one uh, bunkhouse now. So we re uh, Dan revamped the whole place. We got cabinets in there that we are able to salvage of uh, very little cost. Um, and yes, it looks messy, but this is Dan's at work. You can see what has been going on there. And look at the, how it just he makes it come alive. Look at it. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. But here it is. Here's the main part. Uh, uh, Deborah Faye and her husband, Frank, were able to come down and spend a night there. And there it is being lived in. There's the hominess that this trailer, if you've been in that trailer or the bunkhouse beforehand, it's like, it's a beautiful. So, and this will be out there later on for people to come visit when you, if you're going to be doing some projects and stuff like that. 
and we'll have more information on that. But in the meantime, I got to thank uh, the honor that Dan allowed me to help out. <laughs> thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan, Dan and, and John Renee. Renee for all your yes. work, all your help. We thank you very much. So th that brings us to this part. Uh, we want to thank you for your support, your prayers, and your contributions. Uh, uh, if your heart moves to donate, you can go to livingmessiah.com. There's uh, several ways that you can, uh, manners you can donate. Um, there's also the address if you prefer check. That's wonderful, too. And send that in. And then up front is our Sadaka box. And Mark will bless those who give today. Thank you. Father, we thank you so much for everyone who ties, gives, donates, contributes to your kingdom, to this ministry. Pour out an abundant blessing upon them, Father, because they are being obedient to what you've called us to do, which is to tithe and to give. We give you thanks and praise in your son Hushua's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father, for providing for all our needs. It is you and your hand only. Amen. So this is, I get to say, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. The background is an uh, aerial view of the property down there. Where did so, you get the aerial? Uh, Selena brought down oh. a drone, so mm. it was awesome. Where did so, you stand with Shabbat me? Shabbat Shalom, everyone. There is none like you among the Elohim is my master, and there is nothing like your works. Your kingdom is a kingdom spanning all eternities, and your dominion is throughout every generation. Yahuwah reigns. Yahuwah has reigned. Yahuwah shall reign for all eternity. Yahuwah will give might to his people. Yahuwah will bless his people with peace. Father of compassion, do good with Zion according to your will. Rebuild the walls of Yerushalayim, for we trust in you alone. O King, Elohim, exalted and uplifted, master of worlds. When the ark would travel, Moshe would say, Arise, Yahuwah, and let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee from you. For from Zion the Torah will come forth and the word of Yahuwah from Yerushalayim. Blessed is he who gave the Torah to his people Israel in his holiness. Amen and amen. Let us sing the Etzayim together. Etzayim So while you're seating, I'd like to say a prayer for Israel, the conflict that's going on. So, Father, we just ask that your hand be upon this conflict that's going on in the Middle East. Father, be with those who are suffering, those who are losing life. And, Father, may you, your will be done. We ask for your hand of protection on your land and your people. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay.
So welcome everyone online that's joining us. Welcome everybody here. We're glad that you're here. Guests, first-time visitors, we're glad that you're here being with us today. So we are going to talk about um, the people of Israel. As you, If you were reading, our, we're on a three-year cycle instead of a one-year. So we're in uh, Numbers chapters 21 and 22. And so, you know, they're, they're, they've been complaining. They get a good spanking. They do some more complaining. They get a spanking. They do some more complaining. And our portion today, they're going to continue on in uh, after a good spanking, they're going to do some more complaining. And lessons for us uh, that I'm going to share with you later that, you know, when you really have it good, you don't need to complain. You don't need to find things to bicker and complain about as a community or about the things in your own personal life. Be satisfied with what the Almighty has given you. He has a plan, a plan that you may not understand a plan that you may, may not have welcomed, but it's his plan nonetheless. And we may be getting ahead of it. We may be trying to alter it. We may be trying to circumvent our own plan into it, which isn't his. And so we're going to talk about some of those things. And we're going to talk about um, the last three quarters. Uh, we're going to talk about the four different Messiah-like figures mentioned in Targums, mentioned in uh, the Pseudepigrapha, the Apocrypha, uh, the, 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 the Scriptures, the, the Prophets, and the Torah. We're going to talk about these four Messiah-like figures that our ancestors, our forefathers before Yeshua, they had an insight of these figures. And how many times have we read it, and we may have missed some of these figures that they had a clue on, and I'm going to share with you, how did they come up with it? How did they get it? And many, even after Yeshua's death, didn't even get all of them, but the one that they were called to be the Davidic figure, because they've got millennia of study, millennia of studying the Scriptures. Oh, yes, there was bad people, there was corrupt people, but as he says, I've always held a remnant who are studying, and I'm giving wisdom and insight and discernment to them. I'm opening up the windows of revelation to them. And they saw these four Messiah-like figures, which is amazing. So we're going to talk about those. And so uh, before we do, uh, we're in Numbers chapter 21 and 22, and Mr. Alfonso is going to read. Are we going to 2135 or 2311? I can't remember what it was. It was 20, whatever it was. It was 21 something to, wasn't it 22? It was like 2211, I think, that I seen on. Huh? 20, 231, is that what it was? Huh? 221. Okay. So just go 2014 to 22? Yeah. Or just, tw yeah to, just what this says 2014 just, to 2135. Okay. Okay. Numbers, Bimidbar, chapters 2014 through 2135. And Moshe sent messengers from Kadesh to the sovereign of Edom. This is what your brother Israel said. You know all the hardship that has befallen us, that our fathers went down to Mitzrayim, and we dwelt in Mitzrayim a long time, and the Mitzrayim did evil to us and our fathers. And we cried out to Yahweh. 
And he heard our voice and sent the messengers and brought us up out of Mitzrayim. And see, we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass over through your land. We shall not pass over through your fields or vineyards, nor drink water from the wells. We shall go along the sovereign's highway. We shall not turn aside, right or left, until we have passed over your border. But Edom said to him, You do not pass over through me, lest I come out against you with the sword. And the children of Israel said to him, We shall go by the highway, and if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I shall pay for it. Let me only pass over on foot without a word. But he said, You do not pass over. And Edom came out against them with many men and with a strong hand. So when Edom refused to let Israel pass over through his border, Israel turned away from him. And the children of Israel, all the company, departed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And Yahweh spoke to Moshe and to Eharon in Mount Hor, near the border of the land of Edom, saying, Eharon is to be gathered to his people, and he is not to enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel, because you rebelled against my mouth at the water of Meribah. Take Eharon and Eleazar, his son, and bring them up to Mount Hor, and strip Eharon of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son, for Eharon is to be gathered to his people and die there. And Moshe did as Yahuwah commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor before the eyes of all the congregation. And Moshe stripped Eharon of his garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. And Eharon died there on the top of the mountain, and Moshe and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Eharon was dead, all the house of Israel wept for Eharon thirty days. And the sovereign of Arad, the Canaanite who dwelt in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming on the way to Atharim, and he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. Then Israel made a vow to Yahweh and said, "If you deliver this people into my hand, indeed, then I shall put their cities under the ban." And Yahweh listened to the voice of Israel and gave up the Canaanites, and they put them and their cities under the ban. So the name of that place was called Hormah. And they departed from Mount Hor by the way of the Sea of Reeds to go around the land of Edom. But the being of the people grew impatient because of the way. And the people spoke against Elohim and against Moshe. Why have you brought us up out of Mitzrayim to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our being loathes this light bread. And Yahuwah sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Then the people came to Moshe and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against Yahuwah and against you. Pray to Yahuwah to take away the serpents from us. So Moshe prayed on behalf of the people, and Yahuwah spoke to Moshe, Make a fiery servant and put it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moshe made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and it came to be, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. And the children of Israel departed and camped in Oboth. And they departed from Oboth and camped at Lehi-Abarim in the wilderness, which is east of the Moab, towards sunrise. From there, they departed and camped at the Wadi Zarek. From there, they departed and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore, it is said in the book of the battles of Yahuwah, Wahid, and Suvah, 
the Wadi Arnan, and the slope of the Wadi that turns aside to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. And from there on to Be'er, which is the well where Yahuwah said to Moshe, Gather the people and let me give them water. Yisrael then sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing to it. A well the leaders sank, which the nobles of the people dug by hacking with their staves. Then from the wilderness on to Matanah, from Matanah to Nahaliel, from Nahaliel to Bamath, and from Bamath in the valley that is in the country of the Moab to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. And Israel sent messengers to Sihon, sovereign of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We shall not turn off into the fields or vineyards. We shall not drink water from wells, but go by the sovereign's highway until we have passed over your border. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his border. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Yahatz and fought against Israel. And Israel smote him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Ornan to the Yabok, as far as the children of Ammon, for the border of the children of Ammon was strong. And Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon, and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, the sovereign of the Amorites, who had fought against the former sovereign of Moab, and had taken all his land from his hand as far as the Ornan. That is why those who speak in Proverbs say, Come to Heshbon, let the city of Sihon be built and established. For fire went out from Heshbon, a flame from the sky of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the masters of the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, Moab. You have perished, O people of Kamash. He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, the sovereign of the Amorites. Then we shot him. Heshbon has perished as far as Devon, and we laid waste as far as Nophah, which reaches to Medabah. So Yisrael dwelt in the land of the Amorites, and Moshe sent to spy out Yaser, and they took his villages and drove out the Amorites who were there, and turned and went up by the way to Bashan, and Og, sovereign of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Adrai. And Yahuas said to Moshe, do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand with all his people in his land. And you do not do to him as you did to Sihon, sovereign of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. And they smote him and his sons and all his people until no remnant was left to him, and they took possession of his land. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and ears. We thank you, Father, that you're the one that guides your people. Father, you bring the illumination of your words into our hearts and minds through your spirit. And so, Father, may we see and perceive. We give you praise and glory in your son, Yahushua's name. Amen. Okay. So we're going to start in our Torah portion today. And we're in verse 6. Yahweh is inciting burning serpents against the people. Because of their complaining, they just can't get enough of telling him just how disappointed and how unfit. They just, things just aren't well. The bed's not right. The water's not pure enough. Uh, I mean, the food's not good enough. I mean, it's just, you just go on and on. And so they get these 
fiery serpents coming against them. And it's called seraph serpents, fiery serpents, suggesting that this seraph comes from the root meaning to burn. Perhaps they were serpents whose bite inflamed the skin. The exact meaning remains uncertain. Seraph, interestingly, was also the name given to a winged celestial being in Isaiah 6.2. And so some people have theorized that there's a connection to this because it's th this command to put this fiery serpent up on a pole, a nest, and it's elevated. I'm going to show you some stuff about that and see if you can draw some conclusions about it. Whether it was a bronze snake or whether it was something that resembled the master, uh, I'm sure that will be continued to be debated. Numbers 21.9 says, So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a ness. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So think for a minute that, if, is there a possibility that it was an image like a, the cherub, a fiery angel uh, that they were looking at, which is what oftentimes is depicted as Yeshua, as this, he's coming and blazing with fire when he returns. So, uh, this nest is a signal pole, a standard, an ensign, a banner. John 12, 34 says, The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the Torah that the Messiah is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be nest, this is the Greek word, lifted up, who is the Son of Man? Matthew 24, 30. And this is the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man in the clouds of the sky with power and glory. He's up. In other words, he's elevated. Copper serpent. Such a serpent has been found at various excavations. The incident took place near Punon, an important copper mine in antiquity. Lots of copper over there, evidently. Numbers 21.1. So when the Canaanites, when the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who was dwelling in the south, heard Israel had come by the way of the spies, he's ready to do battle against Israel. Take some of them captives. Why? complaining. You want to get the hand of the Almighty off and, and you want to be susceptible to whatever is going to come against you in your life? Just start complaining. Complain that it's not good enough. Complain that complain of whatever is in your life. Your job, the income. Complain about the debt. Complain about uh, the car, the gas price. I mean, you go on and on. There are people that go to someone's house to eat and they complain about, they, they leave and they're complaining about the food. They came, they didn't buy it, they didn't prepare it, they came to, to eat, someone blessed them with the food and they're going to leave complaining. They're going to talk about how the picture was just not correct or the carpet was this and that, all kinds of stuff that people want to complain about. How many of you have seen some of these things go on in life? Yes? So, Israel swore an oath before Yahuwah and said, If you indeed hand over this people, and we will destroy their cities. So he received their prayer, handed over the Canaanites. I'm reading out of the Targums. And he called that name Hormah. So the people win a victory, and then again immediately quarrel and complain of the manna right after this. If the people would only see how blessed they are where they're at, but the enemy sows evil seeds and they lose what they have. These are our examples for us. 
So Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we have met. Now I want to share with you, Edom is this area where, how many of you know where Jordan is? Jordan is on the east side of the Jordan River, and it's this nation called Jordan. Well, this is where Edom is or was in the day. But there's a connection I found out with the Jordanians and the Palestinians of today. And here's a quote from this gentleman. We are Jordanians if the government needs us, but we're Palestinians if we want something from the government. January 29, 2009. It's not just, you'll find it many places where they say that there's a, a connection with the Jordanians and the Palestinians. And I find that interesting if they really are the Edomites, you know, Edom is Esau, Jacob's brother who wasn't happy with him and wanted to kill him, right? He is not very happy with losing his birthright. So just something to consider, think about that, you know, especially in the conflicts that are going on, the, the people that are surrounding Israel have very much reason to wipe them out. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Let us pass over. We're not going to eat anything. We won't even look at your vineyards. We won't notice or comment on how big the grapes are. We won't look at the big giant wells where the water's coming out really wonderful. We won't take a drink of it. We'll go on the king's highway. Uh, if really they were on the king's highway, they wouldn't be complaining. Until we pass through your territory. But he says, no, nope, I'm not going to let you do it. So he gathers his people, goes out toward them in the wilderness, and he wages war. Again, complain, war, complain, problems, complain, issues. You would think somebody would get it. And I hope we get it. Because I want to tell you that these things happen in communities. Complain, complain, strife, bicker, break up. So Israel smote them by the edge of the sword, possessed the land from the Arnon to the Jabbok. For the border of Ammon was strong. Israel took all these cities in the war. Israel goes and captures, does battle with this bordering nation that, that's going to be their bordering nation and takes all of the cities. How unfair. I wonder what CNN would say about that. Therefore, the poet says, enter into Heshbon, may the city of Sihon be rebuilt and refinished, for an east wind strong as fire has gone out from Heshbon. I spoke last week about Israel and their wickedness and corruptness, but yet God is still delivering them from the hands of the enemy. And you hear, see here, even in their corruptness, even in their complaining, has he abandoned them? He's still delivering enemies over into their hand, as unfair as it may seem. We have to realize God's in control. He's got a plan that we may not understand. He's using people who we will use. He's, not only will he have mercy on who will have mercy, but if he can use a Persian king who conquers another kingdom for his glory, who he called, by the way, his anointed, he can use anyone he wants to use. We just got to sit back and let him be the boss, right? I 
I want to read to you this out of Zechariah. I want to back up a second because uh, on our Living Messiah chat group, Woody had talked about Zechariah 12, and I had mentioned that I was going to talk. I was already in the midst of bringing things up about Zechariah 12, uh, and Ralphie talks about Deuteronomy 18, talking about Moshe saying, uh, I'm, I'm going to this future figure like me is going to rise up and Deuteronomy 18 is in our our passages today my point is God is directing us as a people if we just listen pay attention he's directing us he's directing things that connect that we can catch on to what he's wanting us to catch on with and so let's read Zechariah 13 1 at that time the instruction of the Torah and I'm reading out of the Targum the instruction out of the Torah shall be revealed as a spring of water for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will forgive their sins like those being purified by the waters of sprinkling and by the ashes of the cow of the sin offering. And we just talked last week about the ashes of the red heifer and how the ashes of the red heifer was very much like what Yeshua came to do in cleansing and what Ezekiel 30 6 says about sprinkling the clean water on the people that he's likened into that the one that purifies and here we see in the targum they get it they see that even even if there is people in the house of judah that don't get it all the other things you can say about them he says i'm still going to take care of things and situations i've got a plan i've got things i'm going to do and let's not get in the way of what god's going to do with both sides of the family, right? Yes, Larry. Yeah, the uh, the ashes of the red heifer being likened to Yahushua, it's every year they did that to sanctify the, the temple yep. and the, the coming in priesthood. Yes. So what priesthood was he initiating on the, the Mount of Olives? Was it not the Melchizedek? Yes. That he was We're going to talk about that. Yeah, that's one of the four messianic-like figures that the ancient fathers understood and knew was they they were anticipating. As a matter of fact, in the first century, you've got the Samaritans who are expecting a Joseph Messiah. You got Judah down in in in, in uh, uh, the territory of Judah. They're expecting a Davidic Messiah. And neither of those two groups are looking at the priestly Messiah or the prophet Messiah, Moshe. Yes. Before you go too much farther, I want to go back to the serpent that you mentioned, um, correlating it to an image of Messiah. Because we know from the beginning that he is our salvation. The word of God is the only thing that brings salvation to the people brings life it brings life restores life yes and connecting it with um what i was sharing with you at, at, as ralphie was ending his teaching in what he was covering in acts um 19 20 21 the, that portion of acts of our in-depth study it seems like if we step back and look at what the picture was showing us that the people were upset with paul because he was bringing people that had not converted to Judaism into the family, into 
the place of worship. And they were upset, not understanding that, wait a minute, these instructions have been given to us, we keep them, we understand them, and here you're bringing outsiders in that are making this place unclean. And it seems that the message was from the very beginning that he's equating that, I'm tying also some other passages in, but you'll know what I mean, that he says, I am the door, you come through me, I am the living word, I am the entrance to the kingdom, to the holy place. You come through me, not necessarily coming through Judaism, and not to say that those in Judaism are not, you know, seeking the Messiah, seeking the Messiah and, and following his, the, and the following his yeah. word and following his commands. But he's equating that I am this door. It doesn't have to be a particular religion. I am the door that brings salvation. And I think that is why it says, um, I forget the exact portion where Ralphie was ending, is they got upset with Paul when he said, I'm bringing this good message outside of Judaism, that this, this word is to all the nations that can come in through that door. So I want to back up a second. So last week we talked about, and I actually have said it, I think, two weeks in a row, that the lawyer comes to Yeshua, and the lawyer asks Yeshua a question. Larry knows this question. The lawyer comes to Yeshua and he asks Yeshua, what must I do to obtain eternal life? And he says, keep the commandments. We didn't say, believe in me, because obviously if the person's willing to keep the commandments and dig in and hunt for the Mashiach in the living word of God, they'll find the Mashiach. They'll find him because he's all over the place in the Tanakh. As Paulie said, that I want to say it because people would say, what do you mean that salvation is the, is the, is the word of God? Well, the point is we can't separate it. He, he, he is the word that became flesh. He is the word that dwelt. But it's, nothing has changed, has it? Has he changed? Does he change before us? No, he does not change. Our New Testament portion is found in John chapter 20. And it, uh, amazingly, we had something similar to this last week, but it says on the first day of the week, Mary comes to the tomb, finds that the stone is taken away, so she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Yeshua loved, and said to them, they have taken away the master out of the tomb. We don't know where they have laid him. So, when therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the top ones met, for fear of the Yehudim, Yehushua came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace to you. And having said this, they showed them his hands, he showed them his hands, and his side, and the top ones therefore rejoiced when they saw the master. Yehushua said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And having said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the set-apart spirit. Now, this is interesting. I want you to pay attention to this. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins, they are to be retained. So the Jews of Yeshua's day was all upset because he was forgiving people's sins. And they, in their mind, only the Almighty can forgive, right? Otherwise, 
if any man can do it, then everyone can still continue to go to the guy in the little box and repent of their sins, right? But there's a key difference here in this passage. These men are being appointed and commissioned by Yahushua, and they're going in his name. So it's like you see these movies where these guys are going to these other people, and he says, I'm, I'm coming in King so-and-so's name. He's bearing everything. It's like the king himself is standing there. And so the difference here is, would this apply to any and everybody, or is it applying to just those people who have been commissioned for that specific task? The question for you to ponder. Going on in chapter 20. After eight days, he, his taught ones were again inside, and Thomas with them. Yahushua came, and the doors having been shut. He stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Thomas, he said, Come here. Bring your finger here, because I know who you are. I know you're someone that's not going to believe unless... <laughs> How many of you know people like that just, just aren't going to believe it, right? So you know the story. He puts his hand uh, in and sees the nails, puts his hand on the side. But here's my question. This is going to segue into what we want to talk about, the Messiahs. Who died and was risen? I know you're all going to say, Yahushua is correct, but which Messiah? Yahushua is the salvation of God, but I'm, I'm referring to the Mashiach, the anointed one. Which anointed one? We're going to dig into the next several slides for the rest of the time. And we're going to look at all of these places that the Mashiach, in different, what was the word I was using earlier? Different aspects of the Messiah. Okay? So let's dig in. Uh, this is from Messiah. This is from Messiah ben Yosef by David Mitchell, and we're reading in First Enoch ninety verse thirty-seven. It says, "And I saw that a white bull was born with large horns, and all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air feared him and made petition to him all the time. And I saw till all their generations were transformed, and they all became white bulls. And the first among them became a lamb, and that lamb became a great animal and had great black horns on its head." And the Lord of the sheep rejoiced over it and over all the oxen. The passage can now be interpreted as follows. The Messiah is born. His representation as an ox shows his lineage from Joseph. Ephraim and Joshua. His whiteness shows that he is a faultless Zadik, righteous one. His large horns represent his majesty and power, and the homage of the beasts and the birds represents his acclamation among the nations. The ethnos, the goyim, the, the peoples, you might even say, sometimes used in the Greek, which is who? Who are the nations? Who was promised? What nations was promised to Abraham? Okay. Nonetheless, this unblemished creature is destined to die. For he is a firstborn bull. Now why does he say that? Why is he a firstborn? Because he is called the first among all those transformed. And since his birth brings about the transformation of all other creatures into his own likeness, he is evidently the first of a new species. 
His sacrificial death is not described, but its results are in 1 Enoch 90. The interesting thing is, what happens to a firstborn bull? The firstborn bull is destined to die. It's destined as a sacrifice. This is what was promised over Joseph in the prophetic words that were uttered to him, that he was the two bulls. He was the, the uh, shore and the re'im. Two different oxens. One of them, destined to slaughter, and the other one is a magnificent bull that huge, gigantic, elephant-sized bull. No one messed with it. Didn't even come near it, and it was fierce. The first result is that all mankind is transformed in the Messiah's image. The second result is that the Messiah himself is transformed like the shore of Deuteronomy 33:17, Like innocent Joseph from his servile state into a new one of sovereignty and power. In other words, from this death state that his family all thought he was dead into this guy that's now second in command of all of Egypt. And I found it interesting as I studied this that the same thing was thought of of Josiah that I missed. The Josiah was likened unto Joseph as well that you can see the same implications on, of, of Josiah. So this is not two Messiahs but the Messiah of Joseph in his two different manifestations, the sacrificial and the sovereign. And so his return from death to life is implied whether by reincarnation, resurrection, resurgence, or some other reappearance, as surely as the firstborn bull was destined to die. Then the exalted Messiah and all redeemed mankind live together in the favor of Yahuwah, the Lord of the sheep, the God of Israel. Of course, the Enoch passage would be incomprehensible without the Deuteronomy subtext, but with it, it's unmistakable when you look at the two together. So let's look at some Joseph Messiah implications in the Targums. We'll be reading extensively, but bear with me, it's good. We should be amazed that the generations before Yahushua knew about the Joseph Messiah. Ward's explanation on Tuesday brought really good insight into the DNA from Mary. And God has a plan. Let's not get in the way. So our first text is in the Targumic Ectosefta of Zechariah 12.10 from the margin of the Codex, Ruklinias, and it is worth comp comparing with the biblical text and the standard text of the Targum Jonathan. So let's dig in. Messiah, son of Ephraim, in the Targums. So I'm reading in uh, uh, Targum Tosefta of Zechariah 10. Uh, you can see it in the normal passage on the left and the Targum on the right. I'll read the one on the right. And I shall cause to rest upon the house of David and upon the dwellers of Jerusalem a spirit of prophecy and true prayer. Now what's coming upon the house of David and Jerusalem a spirit of prophecy and real prayer. Who's affecting this? He is, right? And afterwards, Messiah, son of Ephraim, shall go forth to engage in battle with who? Gog. And Gog will slay him before the gate of Jerusalem. Ephraim 
is going to be slain. Some kind of witness from the tribes of Ephraim. And they will look to me and inquire of me why the nations pierced Messiah, son of Ephraim. And they will mourn for him just as a father or mother mourned for an only son. And will be in bitterness over him like the bitterness over a firstborn son. Now we're getting a chance to peer into the mindset of the Israelites 300 years before Yeshua comes. What their, what their thinking is. What they've been gathering out of reading scriptures for millennia here. This is great because, you know, even though you might say, well, the Targums are this or that and all these other scriptures. This is a great insight to what their thought, thinking and thought was. So Mitchell goes into explanation over several of the next slides of this verse, of this passage. The Tosefta differs from Zechariah and the standard Targum Jonathan in three areas. Messiah bar Ephraim. The Tosefta features a figure absent from both the Zechariah text and the Targum Jonathan text. Messiah bar Ephraim. Where does the Maturgamon derive this figure and why does he insert him at this point? Messiah, son of Ephraim, is clearly the figure whom the Talmud and the later commentators identify within Zechariah 12.10 as Messiah, son of Joseph. Now, I want you to get that. The commentators, the sages, even in the Talmud after Yeshua, understood Zechariah 12.10 to point to a Messiah, son of Joseph. He, this man goes into later. He's got a great point in that. You, I mean, you can see he's got hundreds of texts before and after Yeshua of this idea that they understood a, a, a son of Joseph was coming as a Messiah. And so he's got this funny question. He says, if you knew that a Messiah, son of Joseph, was coming before the one came in the first century, why did you not believe him? Here's the second question. If you knew that this son of Messiah, son of Joseph, was coming, why did you make up a figure after the one that came in the first century? It's an interesting question. Why did you make up one identical to the one that came in the first century that you didn't see? Very interesting. So Ephraim, being a son of Joseph, any bar Ephraim is ipso facto a ben Joseph. The question then is not simply why the Metergamon inserts Messiah, son of Ephraim, into Zechariah 10, uh, 12, 10, but why Israelite literature in, the general, in general identifies this passage with a Josephite Messiah. There seem to be several clues within the verse and the context. First, the figure of Zechariah 12.10 appears to be a Messiah in a fuller sense. That is, a divinely appointed eschatological king. Divinely appointed. The events are to take place in the future consummation on that day. He is, and this is how they know it's future, because you, every time you see on that day or the great day, it's always referring to the last days. Okay? He is Yahuwah's representative. For the divine oracle makes his piercing like the piercing of Messiah himself. He is also a king. He is mourned by the royal and noble clans of Judah and Levi. 
The morning is compared to the morning for Hadad Ramon, or Highness Baal. The Targum on verse 11 confirms the same point, comparing the morning to the lamentation for kings Ahab and Josiah. Bear in mind that this is in the setting of eschatology. The whole chapter makes this plain. And also that the picture drawn of the universal lamentation either points to a royal figure or else it's intolerable ex exaggeration. I would submit to you that the author believe it's the former or the, the, the first one and not the latter. This eschatological king displays Josephite characteristics. First, like Joseph, he's pierced, dakaru. For Jacob equates Joseph's sufferings with piercing by arrows. The archers bitterly attack him and shot at him and hated him. Similarly, just as it was Judah who pierced Joseph and then looked to him, so too Judahites pierced this figure and then looked to him. And just as Joseph's sufferings brought life to those who despised him, so too here. For when the house of David and the dweller of Jerusalem mourn their abuse of the pierced one, a fountain is opened to cleanse them from sin and impurity. That's the Almighty that's promising that. I would say the Almighty's got both houses under control, don't you think? I mean, all we've got to do is live, be the example, be the light. That's all we're called to do. He didn't tell us to go out with a hammer and axe. He didn't tell us to go out and, and diminish anyone or talk bad about anyone or any group. He told us to be the light to the people. That's our job. A big part of that light is hinged on love. And there's a lot of people that say they're being the light, but they're carrying a big sledgehammer in their hand. And there ain't no love in that. Ain't no love in it. I hope none of us take Judah's spirit here and hate Judah and pierce him this, let me say it again. I hope none of us here take the spirit of Judah and pierce Judah as Judah pierced the Joseph and the Messiah. We have to be careful. Otherwise, we're going to be trapped in that spirit. This is probably the reason that the two have not come together yet. is because of this going on. Second, the figure of Zechariah 12.10 is like Joseph, mourned as a firstborn. Jacob bestowed on Joseph primogenitor over all his sons in place of disgrace, Reuben. He received the firstborn's preeminence and double portion. And his tribes are blessed with the name of firstborn. I'm going to say that because if we believe that we're sons of Joseph, his tribes, the sons of Joseph, are blessed with the name of firstborn. Ooh, man. His apparent decease was bitterly mourned. In fact, mourning for a titular firstborn also marks his son Ephraim. For secondborn Ephraim also received firstborn status as a tribe of Israel in his own right. And his descendants, like his father Joseph, were taken away bitterly and mourned. I'm going to say to you, that I'm over in Israel, and all of the Judahites are still mourning and hunting for Ephraim, for Joseph. Meaning they're mourning over Joseph. They're bitterly weeping over that Joseph has not made it back yet. That's a fact. I've had one of the rabbis tell me, 
we've hunted for you guys for millennia. Haven't been able to find you. But little did we know that God's opening their mind and their eyes to what the bigger picture, what's going on. Little did we know that he hid you into churches until a time such as this. That came only through the revelation by the Holy Spirit. Third, the Josephite identity of Zechariah's figure is confirmed by Amos 8.10, the stepping stone between Genesis 37.35 and Zechariah 12.10. For Amos takes the Genesis mourning of all to predict mourning of an only one, an aval yechid, for the coming exile of the tribes of Joseph. I hope you got that. Amos takes the Genesis mourning of aval to predict the mourning of an only one for the coming exile of the tribes of Joseph. That's you folks. The Joseph exiles who are coming back. Amos's phrase is then modified by Zechariah to mourning of an only one who by analogy with Amos and Genesis must be a Josephite. Fourth, the pierced one of Zechariah 12.10 can be identified with the figure of Zechariah 11.12-13 who like Joseph at Genesis 37 is priced for silver. <laughs> These are some amazing connections that we need to catch. For the figure of Zechariah 11, 12 through 13 shares the divine authority of king, of the king of 12:10. So God has a plan. If we stay focused on him and not the garbage, the false teaching that is presented from all this YouTube stuff that's coming to get us off track, then we'll see the plan unfolding today before our very eyes. As Simon saw whenever Mary and Joseph are bringing the baby out and he hasn't been dissuaded by the false stuff going on within Jerusalem. He hasn't been dissuaded by the false stuff going over in Samaria. His eyes are focused on the king and his plan. The spirit opens up his eyes and he sees that that's what they're holding is the Mashiach, the one that's been foretold to come. That can only happen by the spirit. I mean, you, you've got to know that wasn't man's doing. So may we stay focused to not miss all that God is doing even today among us. Or a future generation will look back and say, yeah, those guys of the 2020s, boy, how did they miss it? They're going to be saying the same thing about us that we say about the first century people. Man, they were all into that, this, and they were into this and that, and they missed it? I can't believe it. I would have never missed it. He is the Lord's shepherd king and trusted confidant. He identifies himself with Yahuwah. Yahuwah identifies himself with him. He has authority to break the bond between Israel and Judah. Like the figure of 12 twin, he is pierced in an act of violence. These similarities are confirmed by the fact that the two shepherd passages form an inclusio around the description of the pierced one in chapter 12. So it seems fair to deduce that the pierced king of Zechariah 12.10 is also the stricken shepherd who, like Joseph, is priced for silver. 
And if the parallel between Joseph's sell price and the shepherd's hire is not exact, yet the pricing of an individual for a given number of silver pieces is unique to these two figures in the Old Testament. Completely. It narrows it down to just these two incidents. I also want to remind you that Kurt sent a video out today. And another confirmation of what I was going to speak about today, about this video, about, you know, how people have things, they have, people think they know what's going on, they think they've got it, but yet it's being twisted, it's being turned, and God's trying to show us. Wake us up. Stay on the path. Finally, the wider context of Zechariah 9 through 12 has repeated references to the redemption of the tribes of Joseph and Ephraim. It's repeated references to the redemption of all of you folks here. The prisoners to be freed from the waterless pit are certainly Josephites. Their imprisonment being a verbal reference to the pits of Joseph and their Benjamite brother, Jeremiah. These gathered exiles are to be recompensed with Joseph's double portion. Ephraim and Judah together will contend with the nations. I'm going to say that again as we're saying. Who's contend with the nations? It's Ephraim and Judah united together, brought together as one. They will deal with the nations. That's God's plan. And it's not just one, this is several places that talk about it. The house of Joseph will be saved and restored. They will be mighty men. Some mighty men and women out here. Mighty men and women, thus says the Almighty. <laughs> they will be gathered in and redeemed and returned from the nations. Then again, the brotherhood between Judah and Israel is broken, after which the shepherd is smitten. The king pierced. All in all, the Ephraimite flavor of these chapters supports the idea that this Messiah is himself an Ephraimite whose sufferings results from the hostility between Judah and Ephraim. And he goes on to talk about Yeshua walks up to the woman at the well. And the northern kingdom is expecting a Josephite Messiah. They wouldn't accept anyone else. Judah is expecting a Davidic Messiah. They're not going to accept anyone else. Some are expecting a Melchizedek Messiah, a priestly Messiah. Won't accept anyone else. Some are expecting a prophet like Moses. He's a Messiah like Moses. He's a prophet, and I'm not accepting anyone else. But because the DNA is not coming through Yeshua's father Joseph, but through Mary, all of these possibilities can come and be possible through the one. He can be the redeemer for Joseph, because he is. He's DNA from Joseph. He can be the redeemer for Judah, because he's got DNA from Judah. He can be a redeemer for uh, the priestly, because he's got the priestly DNA in him. Not to mention that he's really the Melchizedek priest from Monai. And he's also got DNA from Moses. But you know what else? He's got DNA from the Egyptians. He's got DNA from the Moabites. And how many others you want to count in there. So in reality, when this Messiah returns, who represents all of these and many more, 
he can say to the Arab men and women, I'm the one you've been looking for. I am truly your kinsman redeemer. I have Moabite blood in me. I can nullify contracts that all the Moabites made because I have the human DNA and I am the divine king from above and I have all authority and power to take back all that you've done and redeem you from all that you've entered into. Now only a God that's sovereign and mighty can work those things out. And you know what? All we've got to do is do our part and get out of the way because all we're going to do is muck it up. We're going to get it all goofed up by getting in the way and trying to say, oh, you know what? I've got it figured out. I'm going to... No, get back and watch the amazing things happen. What did he tell Moses? Stand back and see the salvation of the Almighty. If we find it hard to see how the Metergamon could draw a Josephite Messiah from this veiled imagery, we should perhaps consider that he was relying not on Zechariah alone, but on a still older tradition which he saw underlying Zechariah's figure, namely the coming Josephite hero in Deuteronomy 33, 17 and 18. So I'm going to show you one other text. Actually, this one and another one. We have two different pierced words, one in Isaiah 53, one in Zechariah 12.10. The one in 53 is halal, and the one in Zechariah 12 is dakar. Interesting how it uses two different words for piercing here, but speaking about the same incident, right? Alluding to the same thing. So now we're going to look at Exodus chapter 40 in the Targum that show us another Messiah figure. This is... Messiah, son of Ephraim, in Targum Pseudo-Jonathan on Exodus 40, 9-11. If you want to turn your Bible there and check it out. So this Jonathan, is, it is one of those passages describing the furnishings of the tabernacle on, on which this Targum often supplies Haggitic details. Verse 9. You shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it, you shall consecrate it for the sake of the crown of the kingdom of the house of Judah and of the king Messiah, who is destined to redeem Israel at the end of days. You shall anoint the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. And the altar will be most holy for the sake of the crown of the priesthood of Aaron and his sons and of Elijah the high priest, who is to be sent at the end of the exiles. You shall anoint the laver at its base and consecrate it for the sake of Joshua, your attendant, who is another Josephite Messiah figure, the head of the Sanhedrin of his people, by whose hand the land of Israel is to be divided, and of Messiah, son of Ephraim, who will proceed from him, and by whose hand the house of Israel will conquer Gog and his horde at the end of days. <laughs> According to that passage, who's going to defeat <laughs> Gog at the end of days? That's you folks. The sons of Ephraim. The ones coming in back to the Torah in the last days. The ones who the Messiah has shown who he is. The one who has told him, these are my words. You mean, that's your name? 
I, I, I didn't know that was your name. You mean, you mean it's your Passover? This text is tripartite, each section relating to the three foremost tribes of Israel, Judah, Aaron, and Ephraim. Each section tells how the tabernacle and its vessels was, must be anointed on behalf of representatives of these three groups. Each tribe has two sets of representatives, the first historical, the second eschatological. The three eschatological heroes are explicitly messianic. They are the King Messiah from Judah and Messiah Bar Ephraim from Joshua, who are to come at the end of days. Now, I find this absolutely phenomenal, that this is saying that. That it's saying that there are, there are these two tribes, Judah and Ephraim, are the two that's going to come. They are from King Messiah, who are going to come at the end of the days. And I just was reading an article that says about these two individuals doing something special at the end of days. Now, how can that be? I'm reading something about these two groups of people doing something significant at the end of days, and then I get another article confirming and backing up the same exact thing. It's crazy. Elijah, the anointed high priest who is to come at the end of the exiles, three interpretational issues emerge from the passage. First, literary. Genre, second, Bar Ephraim's Joshuanic descent, and third, his vanquishing of Gog. The literary genre, the passage is a polymessianic testimonium, a genre well attested elsewhere. For instance, in the Qumran uh, scrolls of testimonial dating from 100 BCE, features text denoting prophet, king messiah, priest messiah, and Joshua, Josephite, Ephraimite messiah, all in the same text. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, you're getting a peering into the mindset of the Israelites pre-Yeshua. Man. And it's no wonder Melchizedek is prophet, priest, and king. Of course. Absolutely. Because as he goes on to later, I'll give you a little heads up, is that all of these, the one like Moses, the one like Aaron, the one like Joseph, the one like David, are all the same individual. Only possible through Mary's DNA. And, and we also have to remember, too, Melchizedek is superior to Levitical because Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. Now, where does the Melchizedek come from? Because he's got the, the Aaronic priesthood, the earthly but remember, Yeshua is both human and divine together. From the beginning, as Ward pointed out in Tuesday's study, from the very beginning, the Word became flesh. He was that way, flesh and divine from the beginning. And so this divine part comes in through His divinity and all the fleshly things coming in through Mary. It gives Him authority through the divine part of Him, who He is, He's, as Ward pointed out, a unique one, unlike anyone else. He's the blueprint. He's the, the plate, the master plate that can make human beings. And so the angels go, well, let's go make one like he did. We can try it. Let's go mate with the daughters of men. 
Maybe we can make a human being divine like he did. Nope, cannot do it. Sorry, but you don't have the master plate. You're not the unique one. The only one like him. And that's your King Messiah. You have the, and you know what? Let me, let me add this to you. When he raises that cup and that bread, knowing that when we take that life, because it's not the blood, it's the life. When we take that life into us, the life of that unique one that's divine and human is now commingled with us. And because we're flesh, we did not have the divine, and the angels were divine, did not have the flesh. Because he gives you the word of God in you, you become the closest creation to, the, to him possible because the divine Torah comes into you, the divine peace that you were lacking. That's how unique you are and why all, all enemy is out to get you because you've got these two qualities of the one unique one Messiah in you. <laughs> oh, it's good. Oh, that's good. As I put on here, wow. It's good. The four craftsmen, Barathea of rabbinic literature, which display such similarities in the Qumran text as to suggest that both derive from a common 2nd century BCE source, features the same four figures. Testament of Naphtali, 5, 1 through 8, another early text, features the same figures as our Targum. Levi, Aaron, Judah, and Joseph as eschatological patriarchs. A host of later texts feature prophet, king, messiah, and Josephite messiah in the text. And the references are here. I put them up here for you. Our present text is therefore very much one of a family. It strongly resembles Testament of Naphtali in featuring a Judahite king, a Levite priest, and a Josephite messiah figure. It also resembles the tetramessianic Qumran scroll and the four craftsmen, but has only one prophet priest instead of two separate figures. It therefore seems to fall, so to speak, amidst these texts, all of which it resembles in clarity and brevity. It resembles the later Midrashim in being trimessianic, but differs from them in featuring an eschatological priest, a figure absent from the Midrashim and its brevity for the later texts tend to be lengthy. Joshuanic descent in this passage, Messiah bar Ephraim, is not only the son of Joseph and Ephraim, but also of the great Ephraimite captain, Joshua, who bears the same name as Yehushua, both in Greek and Hebrew. They're both called Yehushua, and they're both called Iesus in the text. Very unique to the two individuals. Coincident, right? Uh, just a, just a, a fluke that happens. If one were to find any ambu ambiguity about physical descent of the verb to proceed from, the matter would be confirmed by the parallel with the King Messiah's descent from the royal house of Judah and Elijah from Aaron. In fact, Bar Ephraim's Joshuanic descent is a genealogical necessity for their being only one stirps from Ephraim to Joshua, any princely Ephraimite must necessarily trace descent from Joshua. <laughs> oh, 
Although I am not aware of this matter of Joshuanic descent elsewhere, it would seem to be implied in the many texts which present him as a Joshuanic antitype or which pre present Joshua as a messianic type himself. Whew. Absorb, absorb, absorb. This is our last text, our last slide of, of, of talking about these. There was another text that I could have presented, but we would have been going way over. But there are, I should have posted it, there's probably 70 texts that have these figures represented in them, pre-Yeshua. And there's over 100 post-Yeshua in text. Jewish literature. Crazy, isn't it? The vanquishing of Gog, like his ancestor Joshua, son of Ephraim, will be a military leader, vanquishing Gog and his horde. Such a presentation is consistent with the familiar designation in Palestinian texts as the War Messiah. Yet it seems to stand in striking contradiction to our previous text, the Tosefta to Zechariah 12.10, where it is Gog who vanquishes Ephraim. Two explanations are possible. First, that there were two separate traditions regarding the career of son of Ephraim. Second, that these two ideas are related. The death of the son of Ephraim somehow affecting the destruction of Gog and the final deliverance. It's crazy stuff. I mean, I could spend, just this alone, I could spend weeks just having fun with it. It's crazy. So I have some things to share with you about this first let me let me break it down and show you what we've talked about we've talked about joseph messiah is portrayed as a divine king he is the almighty's representative he is attacked and hated he's pierced the morning of the pierced one opens a fountain for the cleansing of sin and his tribes are blessed with the name of firstborn he is yahuwah's shepherd king Ephraim and Judah together will contend with the nations, and the Messiah himself is an Ephraimite. <laughs> These are some of the things that I presented to you today for you to contemplate and think about. And if you have resources for some of these texts, get the, get the text and dig through it because it is it's, it's eye-opening. And again, I want to say to you, now that you've had it shown to you, how is it? How is it? that when Yeshua came, they were expecting four different messiahs. Someone, I mean, grab whichever one you want and say he's got to be the one. <laughs> They're expecting four, four different ones. And this is why when he's at the well with the woman and he tells her, I am the fountain of living water, I did not realize that this idea of well is talking about genealogy. It's taken from another text in the Tanakh. He's telling her, I am the descendant of Joseph, of the, the, the well, I am the, I am the Josephite figure that you're waiting for, and this is why the, the Ephraimites, the, the Samaritans, accepted him because they wouldn't accept a Davidic. They were looking for a son of Joseph. And they were excited that he was declaring himself to be that one. But my question is, here's Yeshua on the scene. Before he came, We've been reading, I mean, I've been reading for 19 years. I didn't see all of this for 19 years. 
And it's because, as I said, you've got men that have been reading these scriptures for thousands of years, passing on understanding to one another for thousands of years that we didn't have access to, but we can if we read some of these texts like the Targums and the, and the uh, just, just, just the Targums and the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. It's there. Yes. So yeah, just like you said, the war, the war scrolls, that's where we are. Um, definitely. So um, can you repeat what you just said, Mark? Because that's where I was going. That, that how that before Yeshua did they understand these four figures. Right, there you and go. And yet today, I mean, you can read Zechariah 12.10, and how many of us read that passage didn't get it? Well, this stuff has been manipulated by where we live, unfortunately. Um, we are under Roman rule, and they changed his scripture to appease them. So that's what I was trying to say about what's been going on here. Um, well, and I would add to that that there are some insights that are written in other texts that we could that, that help get it on, on the other things. It brings things together. And it's kind of like us. When we come together during Oneg, I mean, you can, you can sit down and chat with a brother, and he says, man, I saw this in Scripture. You're going, I never saw that. It's because we're all reading and we're all gleaning, we're all, we're all gaining knowledge from one another, but imagine that happening at Oneg over thousands of years, bringing insight to something that wouldn't happen otherwise. I mean, advance us forward 2,000 years, where would we be in our understanding? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it, if we continue to dig in like we do, right? Yes. So I'm glad you mentioned the Testaments of the Patriarchs because just this morning I was reading about Levi. Levi actually says about, he, he describes the Messiah and how his resurrection, they won't understand it when he's raised from the dead. And I don't know, I just think Levi, Levi actually knew that the Messiah was going to die and be resurrected. Now we have to understand that all of this had to happen. It was all part of the plan. The, the, the blindness of the first century had to happen. Us not getting the Torah for all this time, believe it or not, part of the plan. Us coming to get it now is part of the plan. Where Judah is at right now, it's part of the plan. And let's just understand that if he made all that work and had it all, he's organizing and orchestrating it all, he's still doing it. He's in charge of his two separate families. He'll take care of them. Would you stand with me? Yes. Can I share one last thing about last? I was listening last Shabbat about the last Shirah, the, the Lashan Harah. The last what? The last, at the last meeting, last Shabbat, you guys were talking about Lashan Harah. Yes. So could I share something real quick on yes. that with Numbers 15 and Deuteronomy 18 that you brought up earlier? Uh-huh. Okay. Give me a, just bear with me real quick. Yeah, here. sure. Okay, so in Deuteronomy 18, 19, it says, I will raise up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee. I will put my words, Yahuwah's words, 
in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. <laughs> and it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he, which Yahushua shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. It's his life. Now, in John uh, 12, 49, it says, The Father which sent me gave me commandment what I should say and what I should speak. So here again, he's reiterating that. John 17, For I have given unto them, this is Yahushua speaking, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. <laughs> so it's clear that Yahushua is only speaking Yahuwah's words. Yes. It's clearly here. So in Deuteronomy clear, um, 18, it clearly states Yahuwah puts his words in Yahushua's mouth. Yahushua repeatedly said the exact same thing. I only speak my father's words. And the words Yahuwah gave Yahushua, he gave to the people. Knowing Yahushua only spake Yahuwah's words, <laughs> to call Yahushua's words commentary is to call Yahuwah's word commentary. Yes. This is the ultimate Lashara, and it is likened to the original Lashara in the garden. Yes. Hath Yahuwah said. Yes. So this is not trivial. Um, any, so it's not a trivial technicality. Anyone who does not hearken unto Yahuwah's word spoken through Yahushua, their life will be required of them. Numbers 1531 states the same thing. Anyone who despises, scorns, or belittles Yahuwah's words, their soul shall be utterly cut off. Amen. So this is not a trivial technicality. This is a matter of life and death. Yes. The Proverbs 6.23, the commandment is a lamp, the law is a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Amen. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Amen. Thank when you, an word when an honest person sees in the word that they have been honestly deceived they have two choices to remain honest or to remain deceived. deceitful yep sure Amen. well said i'll leave you with one last one last two last things here songs uh from the targums song four five says you are two deliverers who will deliver you messiah son of david and messiah son of ephraim are like Moses and Aaron, the sons of Jochebed, who were like gazelles, twins of a gazelle, and they were pasturing the people, not beating the people. They were pasturing the people. Yeshua came as a shepherd, pasturing the flock. The house of Israel, by their merit for 40 years in the wilderness with manna and fatted birds and the water of, Mir of Miriam's well. Are we pasturing and shepherding our brothers or beating them down with personal doctrine? Hosea 6.2 says, He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before Him. Matthew 16.21 says, From that time Yahushua began to show to His taught ones that it was necessary for Him to go to Yerushalayim and to suffer much from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and to be raised again on the third day. Teachings and teachers with slippery doctrine and poor scholarship is running rampant. Don't get snared. Keep your face in the scriptures. Be like Yahushua. Four messiahs are spoken of in scripture. A messiah like Moses, a priestly one like uh, a priestly messiah, a Davidic one, and a Joseph-like one. 
History shows that man always wants to follow and be like a conquering king like David and a prophet like Moses. Oh, like Judas. Oh, let's follow the the one that's going to beat everyone up. Oh, I've got a prophet. I am a prophet sent to you. But we have been called to exemplify the priestly and suffering servants that Messiah displays. Priestly as an intercede for others and servant as in serving the needs of others. Let us not get ahead of his plans as Judas did. Let us not beat others up doctrinally, but rather pray for them and serve them as Yahushua did. Father, we thank you for the word today. We thank you for speaking to our hearts, for enlightening us about such detail, such amazing things that were revealed about who you are and uh, you were going to come and you were really going to, to bring about a restoration of all through you because you carry it all through your DNA. You have all authority and power. You have the rights as flesh and as divine to get those things done. We thank you, Father, for these things that were, were written in, in ancient times that we may see them today and learn and glean from them. Open our eyes and our hearts. Thank you, Father, for sharing and showing us. We glorify and praise you in Master Hushua's name. Amen. Can we sing the Avinu, please? Avinu Shabashamayi Yikadeshinka
Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel, and you shall say to them, May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. Amen. Now we can say the bracha and the hamotzi. Heavenly Father, you created the heavens and the earth in six days. On the seventh day, you rested and refreshed yourself from all the work which you created to do. You hallowed the seventh day, calling it a delight, the most desirable day, a reminder of the act of creation. Blessed are you, Yahuwah, who sanctifies the Shabbat. Amen. Barukata Yahuwah, Eloheinu malak olam, Borei pariha gafen. Amen. Blessed are you, Yahuwah, God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine, Lechaim. And now the Hamotzi. Barukata Yahuwah, Eloheinu malak olam, Amen. Blessed are you, Yahuwah, God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth and reminds us that Yahushua is the Word of God and the bread of life. Amen and Amen. Now we get to say, Shabbat Shalom! Shabbat Shabbat Shalom.